You are listening to A Scary State, and this week we have a Christmas special for you. So Lauren? Yes, Nora? Let's get scary. All right. So like Nora said, we have a Christmas special because this is coming out two days before Christmas. Yeah. Two, three days before Christmas? Three Three days before Christmas. (laughs) So I have a funny story that happened at work today. So we got an email saying that there were going to be elevator outages. Oh my gosh. In two minutes, I had three coworkers message me about these elevator outages. <laughs> Wait, do you have to take an elevator no. in your building? Okay, I was no, going to say. No, I take the stairs. Um, that I make it a point to take yeah. the stairs. <laughs> the one elevator in my building is still out of order. It's so concerning. Like, fix it. Every- <laughs> and I still take the elevator. I know it's really bad. The worst. I know. Ugh. But yeah, we'll be walking somewhere and someone will like... You know, we have to go upstairs or downstairs, and I just walk in the front of the group, and I lead the group to the stairs, (laughs) and then we take the stairs. You know, at my old job, I used to take the stairs anyways because it's so much better. Yeah. I need to start doing that anyways just for, like, health-wise. And ours at our building, the stairs are, like, super easy to find, so it's not like you have to go down a creepy hallway and a creepy this and that to find the stairs. So that also makes it a lot easier. That's good. Because when I was a background investigator, we would go into some buildings where like, oh my God, you're walking down these creepy hallways to try to find the stairs and then it's a creepy stairwell Uh, and I didn't like it. So I feel like, you know, it's a lot easier this way. So what if you were, had to go down like a really, really scary hallway to get to the stairs, like, and there was really creepy people down there, would you still do it or would you take the elevator? (laughs) Why are there really creepy people I don't know. I'm trying to set, I'm trying to set a scene for like a really scary thing. Uh, Depends how creepy these people are. They're like, hey ma'am, where are you going? Well then I, why am I going in the building anyways? (laughs) Good point. I don't think I would be in this area. <laughs> but then, yeah, I would avoid the stairs in that only that situation. Yeah. But the weird thing is I'm fine with glass elevators. What? I like glass elevators. Are you for real? Yeah, those don't bother me at all. Oh, my God. I can't look out when I'm in those. Oh, see, I like them because I know I'm moving. Mm-hmm. But then you can see if something starts going wrong. Yes, but then people can see me. So they'll be able to see if I'm stuck. They can watch you die. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. You're the worst. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways, that did not help Lauren's fear. Sorry. No, Lauren. never. <laughs> All right. So, like we said, we have our Christmas special today. And I thought it would be kind of fun to talk a little bit about the darker Christmas figures mm-hmm. from around the world. So, I chose two of the more popular ones and then a few other ones to mention. Okay. So, who do you think the first one is? Like of scary Christmas yeah. figures. Um, the Grinch? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me guess. Um, scary. Elves? No, that would have been cool though. I yeah, like elves. evil elves? Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah, no. I don't know. <clears throat> what? Krampus. Oh. So Krampus is a holiday figure from Central and Eastern Alpine folklore. It's believed that he originated in Germany and that his name comes from the word Krampen, which means claw. Mm. It is also believed that he has pre-Christmas origins, so he's been around for like a long time. He was thought to have been part of the pagan rituals for the winter solstice, and according to the legends, Krampus is the son of Hell, who is the Norse god of the underworld. And as Christianity spread, he started to become associated with Christmas, though the Catholic Church tried to ban him. He is usually horned, and during the Christmas season, he scares children who have misbehaved over the past year. <laughs> he works with St. Nicholas, and the two go from house to house on December 5th, which is known as Krampus Notch, meaning Krampus Night. Mm. Uh, St. Nicholas rewards the good children with gifts, such as oranges, dried 
dried fruits and chocolates, among other things. But Krampus punishes the children with birch rods, beating them with these rods. Oh my goodness. I know. And then on December 6th, known as St. Nicholas Day, the children will wake up and either find their gifts from St. Nicholas or nurse their wounds from Krampus. So he's usually covered in black or brown fur and has cloven hooves and horns like that of a goat. He also has a long pointed tongue and fangs. Ew. He is seen carrying chains, which are said to symbolize his bond with the devil by the Christian church. So that wasn't like original thing, but once he kind of came into the Christmassy time, they associated him with the devil. And instead of beating the kids now, they just, it's like giving them coal because they, I think that was a little aggressive. So they had to kind of evolve that part. Well, it gets a little bit aggressive. Oh, <laughs> Sometimes these chains will have bells attached. So you mm-hmm. know he's coming. He also carries around the birch rods, which he uses to swat children with. But sometimes the rods are replaced with a whip. Oh. <laughs> Krampus also usually carries around a sack, which he puts naughty kids in. <gasps> Those in the sack are either drowned eaten or transported to hell and now it's a present sack oh my gosh i think it's like evolved it's stuff that evolved well he's like working with santa saint nicholas gotcha and so you know how you offer santa milk and cookies Mm -hmm. well krampus likes to be offered schnapps which is a strong distilled fruit brandy i love that i know so he wasn't well known in many places other than europe until very recently he has appeared in many shows and movies one being the movie krampus which is like a christmas horror movie that joe and i like to watch at christmas time you've seen it oh yeah we watch it every year it's one of those things where it's like a really cheesy movie and it's like really stupid but it's really entertaining oh my gosh all right then i have one more (laughs) so this is belschnickel okay So if you know, I am a huge fan of The Office, and one holiday episode, Dwight has everyone celebrate a Dutch Christmas, and he introduces Belschnickel. (laughs) So Belschnickel determines if people have been impish or admirable, and you get a gift if you are good or admirable, and you Mm -hmm. get whipped by a stick if you are bad or impish. So I got this really cool sweater that has Belschnickel on it, and it says impish or admirable, and I wore it to our (laughs) work-like holiday thingy. Oh my God. I loved it so much. That is incredible. And people, so everyone at work loved it. And then I went to a party like the weekend before and Mm -hmm. one person knew what it was. Oh my gosh. And I was like, you know what? This is making me happy. So I don't care. I'm glad you wore it to a work event. That makes it even better. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have a lot of friends who like the office and I was like, I have the best sweater I'm going to wear tomorrow. (laughs) Um, So in actuality, Belschnickel is described as being a crotchety, fur-clad Christmas gift bringer. He is usually ragged and disheveled. He wears torn, dirty, and tattered clothes and carries around a switch with him to beat the naughty children. But he also carries cakes, candies, and nuts for the children who have been good. He'll usually show up one to two weeks before Christmas to check up on the behavior of children. Mm-hmm. He is, quote, in the folklore of the Palatinate region of southwestern Germany along the Rhine, the Saarland, and the Odenwald area of baden württemberg Wartenberg. We actually have a few German listeners, so I'm try. I really promise I am trying my <laughs> Please best. Please don't be mad. <laughs> I looked these up. I have my little like you know phonetic way to say it, and then it doesn't always come out that way. Yeah. Um. The figure is also preserved in Pennsylvania Dutch communities and Brazilian German communities. So unlike Krampus, Belschnickel doesn't accompany Saint Nicholas, but rather visits the home of the children on his own. And he has also shown up in many different forms of media. So like the Office episode I mentioned mm-hmm. called Dwight Christmas. He appears in the 2020 Netflix film called The Christmas Chronicles 2, as well as as well as in other books and such. Nice. So then I was like, what other Christmas monsters or things are there? So again, please forgive me for my pronunciation of these words. I really, <laughs> really, really tried. So first we have Yolakanduran. <laughs> yeah. This is an Icelandic Yule cat or Christmas cat, but he's an evil cat. 
So evil, in fact, that he might eat you. So this cat is related to an Icelandic tradition that says that those who did all of their work and finished it on time get new clothes on Christmas, but those Mm -hmm. who are lazy do not get new clothes. And this is bad because the Yule cat will look for people who don't have new clothes after Christmas and they will be sacrificed to the cat. Wow. So then there's Frau Perchta, who was a witch from Tales in Germany and Austria who would either punish or reward kids during the 12 days of Christmas, which lasted between December 25th and January 6th. So if you were bad, she would rip out your internal organs and replace them with garbage. Oh, that's so lovely. Mm -hmm. Then we have Hans Trapp. He's an anti-Santa who also punishes bad children in the Alsace and Lorraine (laughs) regions of France. (laughs) Say what? (laughs) He dresses as a scarecrow and scares children into being good. Then we have Père Fritard. This is a French legend where the name literally translates to Father Whipper. So he's an evil butcher who craved eating children. But he became St. Nicholas's servant and punishes bad children on St. Nicholas Day. Then we have the Yule Lads, who are 13 Icelandic trolls. They would cause trouble around Christmas time and also scare children into behaving. But they would also leave out gifts in the shoes of children who were good. Then we have Grilla. So the Yule Lads answer to their mother, Grilla. She She apparently has three different husbands and 72 children who are all bad and cause trouble. 72? Uh Uh-huh. All bad. And they they range from harmless mischief to murder. So the Yule cat, and then there's a part of the office where Dwight goes, R is one of the most menacing letters. That's why it's called murder, not muck duck. (laughs) Okay. I love Dwight so much. So many office things. All right. So the Yule cat also lives with Grilla. So the Onion, which is like that satirical newspaper, also blamed her for the 2010 eruption of the... Aye Fretla Yukut Volcano, which is in Whoa. Iceland, I think, um, because she is such a troublemaker, so she caused the eruption. And okay, I listened to the pronunciation. It, there are words and sounds that we don't use in our language, yeah. so it was very hard, and I really <laughs> tried. <laughs> so yeah, so those are our creepy, fun holiday. I love it. Those are so good. So, yeah. Basically, they just terrified the kids so badly into into behaving. Yeah. Uh Okay, cool. Yeah, just like St. Nicholas, he's always watching you, sees you when you're sleeping, Mm -hmm. knows when you're awake. Oh, yeah. Knows if you've been bad or good. (gasps) Yeah. You know what I – (laughs) okay. What? So, I just thought of this. I thought of this. Okay, so, on my way to work today, I was listening to John Legend's Christmas album. (laughs) And, you know, Baby, It's Cold Outside, how if you listen to the lyrics, it's like – talking about pretty much him trying to rape her yeah i have my thoughts she's like say what's in this drink and like trying to get out and he like won't leave her like if you listen that's how i interpret it i interpret that line differently really yeah like instead of like what did you put in this drink it's like oh what drink did you put in here yeah that's how i interpret it at least and like well i know that was like a big debate i know and i didn't think so either until i i mean i was kind of like Mm, I guess I could see it. But then when I listened to John Legend's version of it, it's so respectful. She's like, I really can't stay. And then he's like, um, your driver's here for you. Like, I, it sounds weird, but it was just so much. It wasn't as pushy as like the other I'll version. Have to to it's his. really good. Everyone should listen to John Legend's version and, <laughs> and let me know what, or let us know what you think because I think it's so good. All right. Yeah. I'll give it a listen. Do it. All right, Nora, for our Christmas time episode, what are you telling us? So I'm going to talk about crimes committed by guys dressed as Santa. Yes. 
So basically, I came across a lot of stories about guys dressed as Santa who were committing crimes around the holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was kind of trying to find one case. But I realized that there's so many Santa imposters that are clearly not the real Santa. And these fake... Because the real Santa's in the North Pole. Exactly. Like, busy. So (laughs) (laughs) um, these are fakes that I researched. They're not the real Santa. And... Um, the fakes heard, we know when you're sleeping, when we know when you're awake, and they took it out of context. Oh, Yeah. I mean. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this just, I feel like it's going to be really creepy. Well, these fakes are just creepy people who are not, you know, spreading the joy like they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And so it's time to call them out. Um, also, shout out to Avo Stories, A-V-V-O, because I got a, a lot of the stories from their articles. So shout out to them. So first up is the motorcycle kidnapper Santa. On December 19, 2006, a family was stopping for gas in Columbia, South Carolina, when they noticed what looked like Santa refueling his motorcycle. His motorcycle was decked out with Christmas decorations as well. See, he sounds like a cool guy. Yeah, like you would dude. think so. Like a very like modern day Santa yeah. instead of a sleigh motorcycle. At least, you know fake one because the real one's busy. Yeah. The man asked if the children wanted to see the stuffed Rudolph in his sidecar. Starting to get a little bit creepy there. Like, yeah, but you know, it could be in interpreted. the Christmas holiday or something. Like, oh, how cute. Yeah. According to several articles, the children walked up to take a closer look when suddenly the man grabbed one of the children, who was an eight year old girl, and sped off with her. <laughs> According to the little girl, she did voluntarily get into the sidecar. But because she thought it was Santa. Exactly. She thought it was Santa. I mean, her parents were around like yeah they were there, like but i think she just got in because she got she wasn't thinking about her actions and the parents were also probably thinking like oh we're right here oh, yeah that's cute you know exactly um so her account of the incident was quote he asked who was the oldest and i said i was i got into the sidecar and we went really fast i asked him to go back and he told me to hold tight when i asked him again he started to pull over end quote Oh, my gosh. I know. The girl's father chased the Santa, who, according to the father, was going at least 80 miles per hour. Oh, my God. Imagine watching that. Baby yeah. Imagine watching your baby, like, with this creepy Santa oh my imposter. Gosh. Um, the Santa eventually stopped and turned over the uninjured girl. But before police arrived, the man fled. Luckily, police later found John Michael Barton, age 55, hiding out in the utility room of a local bar. Good. Apparently, Barton had been playing Santa in the area for several weeks, and he didn't really have to do much to look like Santa because he naturally had white hair, a white beard, and a beer belly. Mm. <laughs> so he kind of looked like Santa all he year was around. At a pub, so. Exactly. <laughs> the man was posing for pictures with local children, and he says he quote got carried away end quote. You got carried away, so you stole a child. Exactly. Okay. Like, why would you ever think that's okay? Yeah. The his He apologized, and he said he was very sorry, but that didn't cut it, and he yeah, was arrested. Yeah, no. <laughs> also, it's really creepy. I feel like it's really creepy to dress up as Santa and talk to children if you're not, like, hired to do it or if you're not, like, a family member. If you're just, like, yeah. walking around doing it, I feel yeah. like it's creepy. I have a little bit of that in my case. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay, next up is the Santa attacker. Christmas shopping got a little hard-headed <laughs> at a shopping mall in Atlanta in 2004 when a man dressed as Santa smacked a 74-year-old woman with a 2 by 4 board right in the head. 
Why did he have a board? Well, he told police, he as an Elk and Donnie Clark, told police he knocked the woman unconscious because she had taken multiple boxes of Hershey's chocolates from him. One source said that she stole 29 boxes, but I don't see how, like, an elderly woman could just come up and take 29 boxes. Right. Like, what? <laughs> um, so in order, another source said that she stole several boxes, so I'm guessing it, it was just a few. But yeah. either way, she grabbed a few boxes, and um, she thought she'd get away. I'm, I don't know if it's because she was elderly or maybe she was confused. Who knows? But she got caught. Yeah. In the end, police could find no evidence that the woman had robbed him and charged Santa with aggravated assault. So back to why does he have a board? Exactly. Who knows? Wow. Like it could have been part of somehow part of the setup. Um, for like since it was at the mall, I'm guessing um, he was working as maybe. a Santa, so maybe he just grabbed something. But still, why is there a board laying around? And That's the a good question. Okay. I couldn't find anything. Oh, I'm man. guessing she was. Yeah. Like 74 years old, you said? Yeah. Getting smacked in the head? Yeah. 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 I know. Oh. So, pedophile Santa. Oh, good. <laughs> Another failed Santa Claus kidnapping occurred in 2009 in Parma, Ohio. Anthony Russo, age 46, was dressed in a red Santa suit and carrying a box of candy canes and a unicycle decorated with bows, bells, and a Santa gift bag. Oh, see, that sounds so fun. I know. He jumped out of some bushes and began following a 12-year-old girl when she was on her way to school. He tried to grab her several times. The girl was able to escape his grasp and got away. She called police from a nearby convenience store. The creepy Santa was arrested on a Cleveland bus still in full costume. Ew. <laughs> see, that's the thing with these is, like, you can run, but you can't hide. You know, right? like, you look like, like you're oh, just a Santa. a Santa attacked me. Okay, let's find Santa. I know. Fake Santa. I know. I know. Fake Santa. So we have angry drunk angry drunk Santa. Of course we do. <laughs> a man named Adam Klimek entered the brown elephant shop in Chicago in a Santa hat and fake fur coat. He was not a happy Santa, though. This not Santa, holly and jolly. I know. This Santa was reportedly, quote, using profanity to the customers and appeared intoxicated, end quote, according to a local news station. Store employees had seen enough, though, and politely escorted the drunken, swearing Santa to the door. As he was leaving, he allegedly shoved a store employee to the ground and then took off running south on the street. Fortunately, he was not hard for police to spot because yes. he was in a Santa outfit and he was detained just down the block. Once officers got cuffs on the man, he spit and kicked them in the shin, causing them to sh suffer bruises and swelling. Oh. <laughs> I know. The ill-tempered Santa was charged with felony aggravated battery to police as well as two smaller misdemeanors. Um, I'm guessing like for being intoxicated in public. Oh, yeah. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then pushing that other person. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know if that's a misdemeanor. Yeah. Well, yeah. Know. It's yeah, assault. Yeah. But um, so that was angry drunk Santa, but there it was a happy drunk Santa as well. Oh. <laughs> you got one side of the spectrum. Exactly. There. Back in Wisconsin in 2009, Santa was cited for violating the state's open container law. Witnesses called police after noticing an alleged drunk driver. Santa, a.k.a. 47-year-old Kevin Arnold, was in the passenger seat. When the car stopped, Sa Santa stumbled out of the car, hugged several nearby children, and <laughs> asked if they knew where his reindeer was. Ew. Or reindeer were. <laughs> yeah. Ew, I don't like that. I know. I don't like it. So now, unsweetish Santa... Unswedish? Yes. Okay. I made up that word. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> say. A thief dressed as Santa seems to be doing fairly well for himself in Sweden. 
Santa and two of his helpers robbed a perfume store in Falkenberg, a garage in Hilt, and a clothing store in Kungsbaka. I tried my best. (laughs) Sweden. great. In 2007. Each time the trio escaped in a different car, witnesses reported seeing a white Volvo, a silver Volvo, and a blue Audi at the various crime scenes. So who knows? Maybe they stole those cars too. Yeah. Um, I couldn't really find a lot of details on that one, um, (laughs) but very interesting. So we also have a Nashville bank robber Santa. Okay. In Nashville, Tennessee, Santa Claus – well, sorry, fake Santa Claus – robbed a bank on December 22nd, 2009. When bank officials asked Santa to remove his sunglasses, he pulled out a 9mm handgun and demanded cash. Witnesses described the thief as jovial and heard him explain that he had to pay his elves. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, if you're going to commit, commit. I know, right? Okay, two more Santas. UK Santa's disorderly conduct. At a major Christmas event in the UK, Santa's sleigh showed up at a parade-like event in Norfolk. A man dressed in a Santa suit. Wait, where? Norfolk. Like Virginia? No, and there's a Norfolk, UK. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, because for you said UK, and then you said that, and I was like, wait. (laughs) (laughs) A man dressed in a Santa suit got into a fist fight with a a local teen. Children up and down the street who were there at the the parade began crying, (laughs) and someone finally called the police. Oh, my God. I know. Poor children. (laughs) An officer at the scene shared that the children were understandably concerned and upset at seeing what they thought was the real Santa being arrested. (laughs) But we all know that wasn't the like that wasn't. Yeah, no, no, he wasn't there. No, real Nor- Santa's good. I know. Norfolk police are certain that the real Santa would not approve of people behaving in this way, and of course, he will continue his pre-Christmas visits and delivery of gifts everywhere on Christmas Day. Good. Yes. Okay. Last but not least, jingle bells. Okay. (laughs) At the Rockingham Park Mall in Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Santa was arrested for showing off his jingle bells. Oh, God. (laughs) To a couple of teenagers. Oh, no. The creepiest part that was, was that he was not a mall Santa. He was just a guy dressed up as Santa. Ew. And this article said he put his little drummer boy on display. Oh, my God. It's great when you know the people who are writing this had like way too much fun. I know. And the other thing is like while I was doing this, I was like, well, this isn't exactly scary, but I feel like this is a good like lighthearted yeah. episode that we're doing. Because there were some not lighthearted things oh, yeah. that happened on Christmas. I was like, do I want to go into like a multi-person murder or yeah. do I want to keep it a little light? Yep. You know what I, I mean? saw that multi-person murder yeah. too and I was like, I just can't. I couldn't do it. I'm glad we were on the same page yes. so that our vibe is the same. It's not like something super heavy oh, and then right. talking about jingle bells. <laughs> All right. So what are you going to tell us? All right. So like I said, I had a hard time choosing what I wanted to do because I wanted to do one that dealt with Santa, but then there were some really sad ones. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to do those sad right. ones. So I decided on something else. So my crime is coming out of Cisco, Texas, and has been described as one of the most bizarre crimes in Texas history, which I'm sorry, Texas, but that's saying a lot. So back in 1927, Cisco was a booming town with over 15,000 residents due to the oil and gas boom. Because it was so prosperous, banks were busy, and this obviously attracted some criminals. According to Texas State Historical Association, robbers were hitting three to four banks a day. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. This prompted the Texas Bankers Association to offer a $5,000 reward, which would be over 70000 in today's money, Dang. so a good amount, to anyone who was brave enough to shoot a bank robber. Ugh. That's right. 
If a Texan shot a bank robber, they would get $5,000. Like, is there anything more Texas that is than that? so country. Like, that's like cowboy. Yeah. Like, I just picture cowboys on their horse shooting the robbers. It's just so Texas. <laughs> yeah. So on December 23rd, 1927, at the First National Bank, Santa walked in, followed by his three henchmen. Mm. His elves, you mean? No, unfortunately. Uh, but I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah. So let's talk about these four men. Mm-hmm. First, we have Marshall Ratliff. I'm going to say he was the ringleader of this whole thing. He was a convicted bank robber who had actually already served time for robbing a bank in Valera, Texas. But only a year into his sentence, he was granted a pardon by Ma Ferguson, the Texas governor at the time. Then we have ex-cons Henry Helms and Robert Hill, both of whom Ratliff had met on his many stints in prison. And then we have That's a good friendship to start. Right. And then we have Lewis Davis, who was a relative of Helms. So the three men, Ratliff, Hill, and Helms, were planning this crime while in Wichita Falls. Wichita Falls. Kansas? Is it Wichita Falls? Wichita Falls. Wait. Kansas or is the falls there? Oh no, it is Texas. Oh. I thought that was a place in Kansas. Wichita is. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Thanks. <laughs> but before they could adequately prepare and plan, their original safe cracker came down with the flu and was unable to do the heist with them. Mm. So Ratliff pulled in Davis, who was a relative of Henry Helms. Ratliff promised Davis a large payout if everything went well, and Davis agreed. He was a family man in need and needed any help and money he could get. So the plans continued on for how to rob this bank in Cisco now with Davis in tow. Why did they choose Cisco? Well, Ratliff had lived there before and he knew the area, and he knew the bank and how to get there. He also knew what the payoff at the bank could be. But because Ratliff had lived in Cisco and had criminal records there, he knew that his face would be easily recognizable if he showed up in town. Mm. So he wanted to come up with a way that he would be able to conceal his identity while committing this crime. And what better way to disguise oneself than dressing up as Santa Claus? Oh my god! Which is exactly what Ratliff did. While the men had been planning this heist in Wichita, Fal- Wichita Falls, they were staying at a boarding house run by Miss Midge Tillett. Well, Ratliff ended up getting his Santa disguise by borrowing his Santa suit from Miss Tillett. Wow. To put their plan in motion, the four men stole a car and headed to Cisco, where they arrived on the morning of December 23rd. The men dropped Ratliff off a couple blocks from the bank so that he could make his merry way there without drawing too much suspicion. He was dressed, he was dressed up as Santa two days before Christmas. So Ratliff made his merry way down Avenue D, the main street in town. He was smiling at everyone he passed. He even stopped to chat with local children and pat them on the head. They asked him questions about Santa, and he happily replied. Ho, and, ho, ho, horses. <laughs> for some reasons, reminded me of the Grinch, like when he's walking through the town, like in Whoville. Yeah. So I'll give him this, though. It was a smart disguise. It yeah. was two days before Christmas. The town was decorated. People were getting ready, doing their shopping. In a good mood, like not paying attention exactly. to that sort of thing. So yeah. not a single person batted an eye or thought that it was weird that a Santa was walking down the main road around noon one day before Christmas Eve. Right. So Ratliff met up with the other three men in an alley behind the bank, and the four put their plan in action. But they were also followed by some children who were drawn to the Christmas magic that Santa had. So they followed these men all the way down to the First National Bank. Hmm. So Ratliff entered the bank, and he was pleasantly greeted with a hello Santa by the bank tellers who were working. He ignored them and walked up to the desk in the middle of the lobby. Santa would never ignore someone. So the cashier again called out with another, hello Santa, Uh but again, no response. Right at that moment, Robert Hill, one of the accomplices, entered the bank and pointed a pistol at the cashier and yelled, (gasps) hands up. Immediately after, Helms and Davis, both armed, entered the bank. So this part I thought was a little weird, but Ratliff pushed through the doors that carted off the cashier's area. He walked past the cashier's desk, went into the cashier's cage, opened up a drawer that was under the counter, and removed a pistol? How did how he? Did, yeah, how did he know right? that? I have no idea. That's it was weird. just very weird. So anywho, he tucks that pistol into the waistband of his red Santa pants, and now all four men, to include Santa, are armed. 
Helms, Hill, and Davis were covering the customers and employees while Ratliff ordered one of the cashiers to open the safe. When he made it back to the safe, he began grabbing money and bonds and stuffing them into the sack that he had hidden under his costume. Mm. He then grabbed another cashier and ordered them to, to open the vault for him. So as all of this is going on and the robbery was literally in full swing, Miss P.B. Blassengame and her six-year-old <laughs> daughter Frances had entered the bank to see Santa. Thankfully, Miss Bra- Miss Blassengame quickly realized what was going on and she grabbed her daughter and charged her way to the bookkeeping office of the bank. This office led to the alley, and as she reached the door to the alley, she started yelling, quote, they're robbing the bank. She unlocked the door and pretty much threw her daughter out into the alley, yelling at her to run. This is when the bank robbers noticed her and were yelling at her that if she tried to escape, they would shoot. But Mama didn't care and was able to escape out of the alley behind her daughter. She ran for one block to City Hall and the police department screaming for help the whole way. This alerted Chief of Police G.E. Bit Bedford, as well as most of the citizens of Cisco. According to an eyewitness, Boyce House, Boyce House, <laughs> he is quoted saying, quote, Police Chief G.E. Bit Bedford was a giant of a man and a veteran peace officer. So this giant of a man, Chief of Police Bedford, grabbed a riot gun and raced to the bank. Oh, he instructed officers R.T. Reddys and George Carmichael to cover the back of the bank while he positioned himself in the other alley. This alley, by the way, ran alongside the bank and led out to Avenue D, which is where the bank's main entrance is. Mm -hmm. So Carmichael took the position near another alley, which ran behind the bank, and met up with the alley that Bedford was at. So the whole time that the police are getting into position, the three men were still holding the bank goers and tellers hostage. It is reported that one of them yelled at a bookkeeper, don't look at me. (laughs) (laughs) Which reminded me of Mean Girls when Damien's on stage. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Also Christmas time. Oh my gosh, yeah. (laughs) So during this time, Santa is just about finishing up filling his sack with money and bonds and exiting the bank. As Santa, Ratliff, is leaving the bank, shots are fired. It's unclear who fired the first shot, though. There are two differing stories. The first theory is that Ratliff shot at the bank's window in a way to let his accomplices know that he was done and that it was ready to get out Mm -hmm. and that it was time to get out of there. But other sources claim that it was actually Hill who fired the first shot. It is believed he saw someone outside and tried to fire at the person through the window. A shot was returned at Hill, which then prompted him to fire several more times into the ceiling to show, to show the person outside that they were, in fact, armed. Ugh. But either way, this alerted the cops outside, and they began firing at the two men who were now firing at them. So oh we have a gosh. full shootout going yeah. on. With it all would of- take a Christmas miracle to stop that. <laughs> right. With all of this going on, a crowd was growing outside of the bank. So remember how there was a reward of $5,000 for anyone who shot a bank robber? Mm-hmm. Well, all Texans who owned a gun had surrounded the bank in hopes of getting that reward. Oh, my god! But others also wanted to get, on, get in on this action. So the hardware stores were quickly selling out of guns to those individuals who also wanted that reward. Oh, my god! I just picture chaos. So two of those men in the group of people surrounding the bank with their guns were the postmaster and the assistant postmaster, which I guess are like post office people yeah who are like important mm-hmm. so they also opened fire and one of their everyone i know it's so chaotic yes <laughs> it's like is this doing good or hate, are people just killing each other it stresses me out i know but like just picturing this i'm like how are people not like in the bank getting hit but, i know so one of their bullets actually hit one of the robbers in his arm which quote spun him around But the random firing crowd didn't just hit the robbers. One cashier was hit by a bullet in her jaw, and another customer was shot in the leg. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I don't know what happened to them, but I think they were fine. One customer actually was able to make a run for it and escape. He alerted Bedford and Carmichael that there were others still in the bank being held hostage. So I'm not sure what the setup was for all of this, because somehow the four men were able to round up the remaining people in the bank and lead them out the door towards their blue sedan. 
So how I picture it is that the men were planning on leaving out of the alleyway, Mm -hmm. which led out to the back of the bank with the large group of crowd-carrying people surrounding the front. Oh. So that's how I'm picturing it. Yeah. I didn't see any pictures. I mean, that makes sense. Well, unfortunately, as the hostages hostages were being led out of the bank, some were wounded as they entered the alley. This included the bank president, Alex Spears which apparently was very important. Mm. I assume from the crowd in front just, like, shooting. Yeah. But at this point, many of the customers were able to escape, except two people. Two little girls, Laverne Calmer, who was 12, and Emma Mae Robertson, who was 10. The four robbers used these two sweet baby girls as shields as they made their way through the alley to their getaway car. More than 100 shots had been fired in the alley at the beginning of the shootout. Sadly, Chief Bedford and Deputy George Carmichael were fatally wounded. Carmichael's partner, Officer Reddies, saw Carmichael get, get shot, so he ran to his side to help him. Though already shot, Chief Bedford ran to the front of the alley in a way to try to block the men from escaping. Mm-hmm. He had been a peace officer for 25 years, but was shot right by the robbers. Fi- but was shot right here by the robbers five times. He died about a day later on Christmas Day. Carmichael died almost a month later on January 17th. Aww. When it was all said and done, six other civilians had been wounded. At the end of the shootout, the bank was left with more than 200 bullet holes. Wow. But the robbers didn't come out of this unharmed. Davis, one of the robbers, had been fatally wounded during the shootout. Ratliff had also suffered some wounds, one in the chin and one in the leg. So I'm not sure if wounded means shot or just hurt, but anyway, they didn't come out unscathed. Yeah. So the robbers are in their getaway car and they're driving away. Officer Reddies ran back to the station, grabbed a rifle, and started pursuing the robbers on foot. Wow. But soon, a civilian picked him up in his car, and they proceeded to follow the men. So the four are in their getaway car with the two young baby hostages and are heading oh, south. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they no. still have the two girls. So they're heading south on Avenue D. But be- being stupid men, they soon <laughs> noticed that they were almost out of gas. They hadn't checked to make sure that they had enough at the beginning of their heist. Yeah. So I didn't make it sound like this, but there is now a massive manhunt going on. Mm. There's a mob following these men. So as they're approaching the edge of town, their tire is shot flat by law enforcement. The men jump from their car, still holding their guns and their hostages. They make their way to a nearby Oldsmobile driven by Woodrow Wilson Harris, who was a 14-year-old boy. Oh, I was like, wait. (laughs) (laughs) They demand the car from him, and he obviously relinquished the vehicle. So as they're moving from their sedan to the new Oldsmobile they stole, they were literally being fired at. Yeah. So they successfully get into the stolen car with all of their stuff, and they tried to start the car, but it wouldn't start. Wow. The 14-year-old driver who's so young to be driving, did he do something? He took the keys (gasps) with him when they forced him out. I know. Wow. So at this point, Davis, who had been shot, was unconscious in the Oldsmobile from blood loss and being shot. So the other three men literally just left him there and jumped into their old car, which was the blue sedan. So as they're moving back to the sedan, Robert Hill was shot. Now the men, minus David, and the hostages are back in the vehicle, and off they go. Only as they leave did they realize that they had left the money they had stolen in the Oldsmobile. Uh. The money was eventually returned to the bank. They had stolen a total of $12,500, which is $190,404.97 in today's money. Yeah. And they stole that much in cash. And then 150000 in non-negotiable securities, which would today be $2,284,859. Wow. So the three men and the two hostages now raced down Avenue D, and as they did so, they were being pursued by a group of people. The driver, unsure who was driving, mm-hmm. swung down a dirt road in an effort to lose those pursuing him. He then turned into a pasture, driving past cacti, shrub oaks, and mesquite. 
But soon enough, the growth became too much and the car could go no further. So the three men jumped out of the car, leaving it there along with the two hostages, the two little girls, and continued their escape on foot. They just left these little girls. I mean, it's good that they did that, but also like these poor girls are probably so scared. Yeah. Just these little babies. Completely alone. Yeah. But they were fine. They got picked up and everything. So news of this robbery and manhunt had spread far and wide, and Sheriff John Hart from Eastland heard about it. He and his deputies got into their police cocoa. got into the police cars and sped to the location where the men had abandoned their vehicle so picture this we have Mm -hmm. the cops looking for these men and the cops are being followed by reporters who also want to get on the action yep so house a reporter who i mentioned earlier said quote officers and citizens poured in from all sections of the state and such a manhunt as western texas had never seen was soon in progress Many members of the posse were on horseback or on foot as they beat their way through clumps of trees, searching high grass in the bottoms of ravines, and peered around boulders and canyons. Wow. So kind of like what you said. Yeah, that's literally what I pictured. End quote. (laughs) So there were a ton of search groups out looking for these men as well. So like I said, this is a huge manhunt. It was like the biggest manhunt Texas has ever had. Wow. One group actually found an overcoat and bloodstained gloves. Another group Mm -hmm. found a suitcase and a pile of bloodstained rags. Inside of the suitcase... They discovered cotton and gauze. This discovery showed that the robbers had actually planned ahead in case any of them were injured during the robbery. Wow. But despite all of these forces and people out searching for these men, they were still able to avoid capture. They were even able to steal another car. The search continued on for yet another day. So (laughs) kind of sad note here. So like I said, this crime got a lot of attention, and it was known that Santa had been the ringleader. So on Christmas Eve, a church in Eastland was having their Christmas Eve service, and a jolly, happy, friendly Santa Claus entered the church. Mm-hmm. A little boy called out in a quivering voice, Santa, why did you rob that bank? Oh, <laughs> poor child. Doesn't that just break your heart? Oh. So back to our chase. So <laughs> the three men had made their way to Putnam, where they ended up wrecking their car. They soon found another car, this time driven by Carl Wiley. They took him as their hostage and forced him to drive. As he was driving away, his father fired his shotgun after the vehicle. His bullet hit his son. <gasps> Thankfully, he didn't die, <sighs> so he was fine. But oh my God. So at this point, the men and their hostage were just hiding out, and all they had to eat were oranges, which they did not offer to their injured hostage driver. Wow. Then the men came up with another plan. They would return to Cisco and hide in plain sight. So they let Wiley go. Then somehow they went and stole another car. (laughs) But the three men were weak and weren't doing so good. They were all injured, and their injuries hadn't been tended to. They were also hungry, and the weather wasn't good. Mm -hmm. The next morning, the men found themselves in Young County in the little town of South Bend. As they were trying to cross the Brazos River, they were spotted by Sheriff Foster. A short car chase followed. The men then got out of their car and tried to run towards the wells to escape. Well, enter Deputy Sheriff Cy Bradford. He was known known around the area for bringing law and order to the town. So he had been in many gunfights in his days, and he usually always came out as the victor due to his cool-headedness and marksmanship. Well, even before his car fully stopped, Bradford was out of it with his trusted old Betsy, his double-barreled shotgun in one hand, (laughs) and an extra pair of shells in the other. He saw the three men running from him. He raised his gun, pulled the trigger, and one man dropped. He reloaded and continued his chase. The now two men were still firing at him over their shoulders when Bradford, again, raised his gun and pulled the trigger. I picture, like, a a cigarette. He's, like, smoking a cigarette and, like, (laughs) shooting with one hand. (laughs) Right. So he pulled the trigger. Another man dropped. But somehow arose and staggered on. Reloading and shooting again, Bradford hit the third man who also fell to his knees but was able to get up before disappearing into the woods. So he just three for three. Wow. So Ratliff had been the first one hit. 
Hills and Helm had also been hit, but were able to escape into the woods by the Brazos River. Bradford approached Ratliff, and when he was looked at, he was described as being, quote, a walking arsenal. Not only did he have six pistols with him, one being the one he took from the bank, but he also had no fewer than six gunshot wounds. Mm. After an exhaustive manhunt and firefight, Santa had finally been caught. But not yet the other two, Helms and Hill. So an intense manhunt lent by, led by Ranger Captain Tom Hickman ensued. They started this manhunt immediately as they didn't want the men to have any opportunities to rest. The chase continued on foot, but the ranger knew that it was drawing to an end. Helms and Hill's footprints appeared to be getting closer together, meaning that they were slowing down and getting weaker from both the long chase and the loss of blood. Mm. Their tracks showed that even for them to climb a little hill, they had to crawl. So finally, on December 30th, seven days after the bank robbery, the two men were apprehended in Graham, Texas, which was about 61 miles from Cisco. Wow. So Google Maps told me that it would take you 19 hours and 37 minutes to walk that distance. Oh, my God. So they had been caught because they were looking for a roaming house in Graham and had asked a random man for directions. That man had seen their pistols and had called the authorities, which in Texas, I don't know why seeing guns would have you call authorities. Yeah. (laughs) So the two men were taken into custody without a fight. When they were captured, Hill had three pistols with him, and Helms had four. <laughs> so what happened to these men? Davis, the man who joined the group late and had been left in the car with the money, had been taken to Fort Worth Hospital. This was actually the only crime he had ever committed in his life. Mm. He just really needed the money. So he ended up dying from a bullet wound he had received during the firefight at the bank. As Act- Actions have consequences. I know. You know? It's so sad because he it just is. needed money for his family. Yeah. So as for Helms, Hill, and Ratliff, well, they all survived their wounds and now had to face trial. Ratliff took the stand first, followed by Helms. So Helms had been ID'd as the man who had killed both of the lawmen, and in late February, he was given the death sentence. He tried to argue insanity, but the plea failed, and he was executed on September 6, 1929, by the electric chair in Huntsville, Texas. His last meal is said to have been cabbage, sausage, tomatoes, coffee, and pie. Oh, my stomach could never. I don't. I don't. (laughs) Uh, Hill was tried last out of the group. He pled guilty to armed robbery and then took the stand on his own behalf, which don't ever yeah, do. Yeah, don't do that. He it's tried, like a doctor who tries to treat themselves when they're sick. Yeah, like, like Ted Bundy took the stand. It's yeah. just stupid. So he tried to defend himself by talking about his unhappy childhood. He also cried, asking to be shown mercy. But in March of 1929, he was given the sentence of life imprisonment, which at the time meant 99 years. During his time in prison, he managed to escape three times, but he was oh. recaptured each time. In the mid-1940s, Hill was paroled. So much for a life sentence. I know. What? It's said that he changed his name and lived out the rest of his days as a productive citizen until his passing in 1996. What? 96. That was recent. That was, what, like 25 years ago? So now back to Ratliff, the mastermind behind this whole operation. He had been the first one to face trial. On January 27th, 1928, he was convicted of armed robbery and was sentenced to 99 years in prison. So remember his one hostage, 10-year-old Emma Mae Robinson? Mm -hmm. Well, she testified at his trial and positively ID'd him as the man who robbed the bank and kidnapped her. You go, girl. Yup, the one who had been dressed as Santa. Mm. A few months later, in March of that year, he was sentenced again. This time, he was sentenced to execution for his role in the deaths of Carmichael and Bedford, the two officers who had responded to the bank. Mm. Unfortunately, no one was able to testify to having seen Ratliff dressed as Santa fire a gun. But of course, Ratliff tried to appeal this case, and it failed. After the failed appeal, Ratliff began acting off and acting weird. He was now hoping for an insanity plea. His mother, Ryla Carter, filed for a lunacy hearing in Huntsville. 
So the citizens of Eastland County were not happy to hear about this. One, Ratliff hadn't been executed, and two, his mother was now filing for lunacy. The judge presiding over Ratliff's case extradited him back to the Eastland County Jail, where the people were unhappy with him. Mm -hmm. While he was there awaiting his execution on November 18th, Ratliff feigned paralysis. He was so successful with his act that his jailers, Pat Kilborn and Tom A. Jones, known as Uncle Tom, actually had to feed him, bathe him, and take him to the toilet. Are you freaking kidding me? While these two <sighs> men were helping the paralyzed Ratliff, he managed to get hold of a gun, a six-shooter, off of their desks. He fatally shot Jones, then engaged in a violent fistfight with Kilborn. He even shot at Kilborn a few times, each time missing. This commotion caused people in the town to gather outside of the jail and watch helplessly as everything was going on inside the jail. But eventually, Kilborn was able to pin Ratliff down, beat him unconscious, and return him to his cell. Oh my god. So the whole situation angered the town, and by nightfall of the next day, over 2,000 people were outside the jail, all wanting Ratliff Jeez. to pay. They wanted to be the ones to take justice into their own hands. But Kilborn refused to let the crowd into the jail. But 15 to 20 men overpowered the one guard. They rushed into the jail, threw open Ratliff's cell, and dragged the man out. His hands and feet were tied, and he was carried out to the lot behind the local theater. The Majestic Theater, which was located on Mulberry Street, was presenting the play The Noofs that night. The men then threw a rope over a wire that was hanging between two telephone poles in an attempt to hang Ratliff. With a noose. Mm -hmm. Well, the knot they had used came loose, and Ratliff fell to the ground. But the second time, they used a more sturdy rope, and this one was successful. Ratliff was hanged. Wow. His last words before he was lifted into the air were, quote, forgive me, boys. <laughs> Too late, buddy. 20 minutes later, at 9.55 p.m. on November 19th, Ratliff was pronounced dead. So it took him 20 minutes. Oh. Yeah, which is horrible. Yeah. Jones, the officer who had been shot by Ratliff, also passed away that evening from his wounds. That brings the count to six, including the three robbers who died as a result of the Cisco bank robbery. Ratliff's body was displayed at a local furniture store in Cisco before a judge ordered it to be locked up. Ratliff's family ended up taking possession of the body, and he was buried at Olvet Cemetery. The First National Bank is still standing in Cisco, though it is now located in a new building. The bank actually has a painting of the robbery and a collection of all of the pictures and newspaper clippings about the robbery. The Texas State Historical Survey Committee, which is now the Texas Historical Commission in 1967, placed a medallion on the bank to commemorate the robbery. (laughs) (laughs) It reads, quote, Costume Santa and three fellow bandits looted bank of $12,000 cash, $150,000 in securities. They escaped through gun battle with two little girls as hostages. A three-day manhunt followed. The children and money were recovered. The robbers captured. Six persons were killed, eight injured. Later, a mob lynched Santa when he broke out of jail. So that is the story of the Cisco wow. Santa bank robbery, one of the most bizarre crimes to occur in Texas. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I never heard of that. I hadn't either, and I wanted to do something with Santa. That was like, I mean, people did die, which is horrible, but like a little bit more lighthearted. Yeah. And I was like, well, I've never done like a robbery before. Yeah. So yeah. I'm glad the little girls were okay. Because I am they too. were probably so petrified. <laughs> Just imagine they were what, like eight and ten or ten and twelve yeah. or something. Like poor little baby. But yeah, so I think we had some good Christmassy things. Yes. And we hope that no matter what holiday you celebrate in the next few weeks, we hope you have a great time with your family or your loved ones. Or Um, whoever you choose to spend the holidays with. Exactly. Um, So thank you guys so much for listening this week. Um, And we really appreciate all of your support. Make sure to follow us on social media at A Scary State Podcast. Or email us your scary stories at ascarystatepodcast at gmail.com. And we'll read them in a listener's episode like the one we released a couple episodes ago. Yes. Um, So I think that's it. So stay scary. Stay safe.